You know, every day we are bombarded by advertisements. All these advertisements are trying to get us to follow their product or follow their direction and follow what they want. So we always have, have, have that bombarding us. And in addition to that, our flesh is enticing us constantly, trying to get us to deviate, to go uh, the way of the flesh rather than the way of the spirit. And uh, so here we, we have so many, so many temptations trying to get us to go uh, the way that is not God's way. But Psalm 23, which, of course, everyone knows and loves and so on, but uh, Psalm 23 has that wonderful promise that we have a shepherd, and among the things that the shepherd does is he leads us in the paths of righteousness. And I, I was thinking of that in relation to Proverbs. So here we have all of this bombardment of other ways, and, and yet we have a shepherd who leads us in the paths of righteousness. How does he do that? Well, first of all, he does that through his word. And Psalm um, 119, 105, your word is a light to my path, to my way and a light lamp to my path. And then on top of that, uh, we have the whole book of Proverbs. Now, every passage of scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, and so on. But as you know, the book of Proverbs is not a doctrinal book. It's not a historical book, but it's full of these exhortations about the way of the Lord. And I have just thoroughly been enjoying studying it in depth and learning about these ways. I hope you have too. Well, in honor of God's word, I'm going to read Proverbs 16, 27 to 30. Uh, if you could stand, if you're able, for, to, for honoring God's word, I'll go ahead and remain seated. But Proverbs chapter 16, uh, verse, uh, verse 27. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things, but he who purses his lips brings evil to pass. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. This is God's word. You may be seated. So we've been looking at these Proverbs. Most of these Proverbs are one verse. And uh, we, we have a title. I'm taking the titles from a very good book on Proverbs called The Wisdom of Proverbs. But uh, in this case, verses 27 to 30 are, are kind of lumped together. They, they are covering one subject. And so the title of, of this proverb of these three verses is, or of uh, four verses, is a beware of the godly slanderer. Um, Proverbs in these verses describes evil people who destroy relationships. And that is something 
that God's word tells us God hates. God hates evil people that will destroy relationships. And we'll see that tonight. Look at verse 27. A worthless man plots evil. Now this word worthless in, in our English Bible is the translation of a Hebrew name which actually became, I mean, a Hebrew word which actually became a name. It's the name Belial, B-E-L-I-A-L. Now, this word, which is also a name, is translated as a vile man in some of the other translations, such as the Legacy Standard Version and other translations translated as a scoundrel or an ungodly person. And it's a word that means a person who is good for nothing. Uh, the Hebrew term has a strong connotation of an evil person. In fact, the word was used in Hebrew writings other than the Old Testament, not the Old Testament, but in other Hebrew writings in ancient days, this Hebrew term was used as a name for Satan. And it was and also used to describe the future coming Antichrist. So in Hebrew writings, they use this name for Satan and the future Antichrist. But you say, you might say, well, I've seen that, that name in the Bible. Yes, in the New Testament, it is used once. Uh, the word was used this way in 2 Corinthians 6.15. And that's in the context of don't be unequally yoked with non-believers. And it specifically says, what accord has Christ with Belial, and there it is using it as this name for Satan. What accord does Christ have with Satan? Obviously none. Christ is holy, Satan is, is wicked, and so on. So the, I just give that background so that you see that it, this is speaking about a very wicked person. And uh, this worthless person plots evil. Now, the Hebrew word there that's translated plots evil uh, has the idea of bringing evil to the surface. So that's why in some translations, you will see that it's translated this, this wicked person digs up evil. This, the picture is this person digs up dirt on people in order to ruin them and in order to hurt others. And that is, that is something God hates. And then it goes on to say in verse 27, and his speech. So that's one aspect of what this person does is through his speech. It's like a scorching fire. Um, the, the idea is the scorching fire in that part of the Middle East, sometimes they would have the, they would be burning brush or burning uh, what's left over after the crops have been harvested. And the wind might come up and then just turn it into an inferno that just devastates everything. And that's the picture that he is, is, is giving here of this person who with his speech is, is digging up all this junk of, to say about people. And what's left is this poor person's reputation is scorched. It's all gone. Then we have in the next verse, in verse 28, 
a dishonest man. So we have the worthless man. Now we have the dishonest man. And the Hebrew word translated dishonest describes a person turning away from what is normal and right. Uh, sometimes this word is translated as perverse. That's another word that has a real connotation of, of real evil. And so it's the idea of a person who turns things upside down uh, through his lying words. So this dishonest man spreads strife. Strife is what the op is the opposite of what God wants in his people. Remember a key section in Proverbs is Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. Remember that passage that says there are six things that God hates, yea, seven things. And, and we spent time a long time ago looking at those seven. Well, when you look at those that, that list of those seven, seven terrible things that God hates, it's interesting. Uh, it, it says haughty eyes, that's, that's pride. Then a lying tongue, so that's, that's involved here. God specifically hates that. And hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. Then the next one, a false witness who breathes out lies. That's what this person is doing. So we have this testimony in Proverbs 6. This is really hated by God. And one who sows discord among the brethren. Now, in our culture, when we talk about, boy, there's, there's sins and then there are heavy sins, usually don't, people don't think of this as spreading strife, but God does. Because God has, has brought peace to the life of his church, to the lives of his people. And he hates anything that disrupts and violates uh, that, that, uh, that godliness that comes from that uh, unity. So what is the remedy for this? Well, the bottom line is it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You remember Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance, and so on. Uh, when these are in the life, um, the, the others are going to go away. Then we have in verse um, Oh, by the way, there's more to the verse. So verse 28, and a whisperer, a whisperer is a slanderer who gossips. Gossip will soon drive a wedge where no wedge should ever be allowed to enter. And so therefore it says, and a whisperer separates close friends. You may have had that happen uh, to you where you've had a close friend or family member and someone has come and spread gossip and it's just created an irreparable harm, a break between you, or you've seen it happen to other people. And this is something that God hates. And so in God's wisdom here in giving us the paths of righteousness, he's warning us about that. Then we have in verse 29, a man of violence. Now, this man of violence, that violence is a word that's used in the Old Testament of extreme wickedness. So you see, all of these words are different words that really all point to just 
terrible, extreme sin. But here, this violence is extreme wickedness such as cold-blooded murder. For instance, in Genesis 6, 11, and 13, when we learn the cause of the flood that God was sending on the earth in the day of Noah, uh, this, this very word is used in there as part of, part of the reason why God, because of his hatred of it, was destroying that sinner generation except for Noah and his family. But he goes on in, in verse 20, 20, 29, a man of violence entices his neighbor. Perhaps, speaking of he entices his neighbor to join him in this crime against someone else, or it may speak of he entices his neighbor just so he can do him some harm. It, it could be either one or it could be, it could be both. God hates that. And then it um, uh, goes on in the next line of verse 29 and leads him in a way that is not good. It's a course of evil conduct. And then verse 30. Verse 30 is a, a little different. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. Now, we all know that there are times where uh, you wink your eyes or someone winks their eye at you and it's in jest and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's no problem. But here, uh, he's talking about uh, the danger that comes uh, not just from our words, but from our facial nonverbal communication, in other words, our body language. And so he's saying our body language can be as dangerous as our words. And he gives another example in the next line, he who purses his lips. So he, he pictures a certain way you can just kind of, you're plotting this evil and you just kind of purse your lips as you're, you're you know, when, when, when you're doing is kind of unconsciously that you're doing it, but someone can read, who can do well at reading facial expression and recognize, oh, this is not good. And uh, so that, that is uh, this person. He purses his lips, indicating that he has concocted some kind of evil. So then uh, the proverb continues, purses his lips, brings evil, to pass. So what Solomon is doing here, he's giving a word to the wise. Don't be fooled by these people. Don't be fooled by the people who person who will harm you with words, but also don't be fooled by the person who's not not doing harm by words, but with their facial expression. They are working and devising ways uh, to bring harm. Solomon is saying the wise person will beware of that. So the bottom line is beware of the ungodly slanderer. The wise person is to be alert to a person being a slanderer, but is also quick to be aware of slander in his or her own heart. So there are two sides to this. Be aware of someone else who's doing that, but also look into ourselves do I slip into doing this? And I, I believe I put into your notes 
some, some important verses on this, such as Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Let's look at that just quickly. We've seen it before in our study of, of Proverbs, Ephesians 4, 31, and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. These things that are in these verses. Along with all malice, that's hatred and evil. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us. So we need to be alert to any of these negative things showing up in our life. But the, one of the greatest ways to prevent them is to be emphasizing and, and having predominant in our lives to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Ask God for that in your heart. So there's Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Then, then there's also Philippians 4, 8, the verse that says um, to think about those things that are true and lovely and of good report and think on these things. So when, when the, Satan entices us to think of, of these of, of slander and gossip and, and these things and, and it's a temptation, God says, just turn away from thinking that and think the things that are true, the things that are righteous, the things that are godly. And then there's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. That's that section in 1 Corinthians. Remember, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, and it's that section that says love is, and it gives these different statements about love. Those can help equip us uh, to withstand when the temptation comes to slander, to destroy in that way. Then we come to our second proverb tonight, and I kind of wish I didn't have to do this one. Um, but I don't want to be guilty of passing over inspired scripture. I think someone younger should be the one to teach this verse, like Pastor Steve, but... He's not going through Proverbs, I am. So honor the elder saints in the church, and that's in verse 31. You know, this proverb is best understood in light of God's promise under the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, that obedience is rewarded with long life. That is one of the promises that was given in the Old Testament. Obey God and you will have a long life. In the culture of the Old Testament, people revered and respected older people. Everyone assumed that older people knew more than the young people. That's kind of turned around in our culture. In our culture, a lot of assumption is that, uh, oh, the old guys don't know anything. It's the new guys and the, with the computer and all everything else. Um, but um, in, in Bible days, it was a very much different culture. And the culture believed that older people had accumulated wisdom. Uh, turn over to the book of Job. Something interesting, I don't know if you've ever particularly noticed, that's kind of hidden in Job. Job 32 and verses 1 to 7. Uh, you remember in Job... 
Uh, his friends came and they were trying to console him, but they did a terrible job of consoling him. And they, but the problem was they had the totally wrong perspective on what had gone, gone on with Job. But there was a young guy among them, and his name was Elihu, and he's been quiet as Bildad has spoken and Job has responded and the other older ones have, have, have spoken and they've gone back and forth several times. All of that has happened and now Elihu uh, speaks up. And notice in Job 32, 1 to 7, so these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. They just gave up. They weren't getting anywhere. Then Elihu, the son of Barakel, a Buzite, the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. Now, Elihu doesn't totally understand everything either. He burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Now, Elihu had wanted to speak to Job because they were, uh, had waited, excuse me, had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer to the mouth of these three men, he burned with anger. And Elihu says, I am young in years and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, let the days speak and many years teach wisdom. That gives you an insight into the culture of that day. Um, he, he just was out of respect for the older ones uh, holding, holding back. And, uh, but, so, but we need to keep in mind, in the New Testament era, when we come to this, this verse, we need to, come to, to, to bring to mind that age is no guarantee of wisdom. Uh, I have to realize that. And we have to realize that youth is no guarantee of ignorance. Um, you, you, can, you have a lot of older people who are very ignorant, very, very unwise. But praise God for those that are wise, and we'll see who the wise are. But you also have some young people that are also very wise. So uh, it's, it's, it's not a blanket statement. But let's look at our, our verse back in uh, Proverbs 16.31. Gray hair is a crown of glory. Now, we'll learn later in chapter 20, verse 29, that uh, young men glory in their strength. And uh, you see that all the time. They're flexing their muscles and they're exercising. Can I say it? Yesterday, we were over at our grandkids' house, and Benjamin was on the floor doing push-ups. <laughs> At three years of age, Benjamin was doing so great. And, and, and that's typical of, of, of young men, glory in their, in their strength. Proverbs 20, 29 says that. But for older people, gray hair is to be seen as being like a splendid crown. That's something to keep in mind when you get older. Now, he's saying that an older person is to be treated with admiration and respect. Like 
say you you meet a person who is wearing an Olympic medal, and and you would undoubtedly have respect for such such a person, or you meet a veteran who has the Purple Heart. I hope you would really be filled in awe and respect of that person. Uh, in, in the same way, the older person, gray hair, is to, to be a sign like a, a, a medal is for an Olympic winner, that this person should be respected. Now, our, our culture has lost this as a culture. I'm not saying everyone here has. Believers are, are different. But as a whole, our culture has lost that. Today, we exalt young bodies and discount uh, older people. I have to tell you, the one time I personally have experienced that, I would guess the number of years ago, I would guess I was about 60 years old. And as you know, I was pastor of a church, and I went to a hospital to visit someone from our church who was in the hospital. And as often seems to happen in hospitals, they don't have enough parking. And there was no place to park in the parking lot in front of the hospital. Well, across the street, and it was a busy street, was a mall. And, of course, the buildings of the mall are set back, but there's parking all the way up the street and near the hospital. There were lots of empty spaces. So I went and I parked, uh, which was perfectly fine, legal, uh, in, in one of those spots at the mall. Went into the hospital. When I came out, I then needed to cross that busy street to get uh, across the street to get my car. And at that corner, there is no signal. It's, there's just a crosswalk. And so I was being careful and looking for the right opportunity, and I started across the, the crosswalk. Well, there was a carload of, if I remember right, they, it seemed to me they were teenagers, maybe a little older, uh, who came up and wanted to turn left then on that street and where I was crossing. Well, they apparently were impatient. And one of them yelled, get a move on it, Baldy, and laughed and so on. Now, I don't think I was walking like an older person. <laughs> Especially at the age of 60, I... I tried to keep up, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I just took it worth a grain of salt and so on, didn't let it bother me, but, you know, I never forgot it. It's, it's one of those times of disrespect for older age. You would never do that, but they did. But so that is out there. So it's interesting in our church, Pastor Steve, at every luncheon, when he gives the blessing, he then will say, senior citizens go first. Now, once in a while, he's busy. At that point, I'm asked to do it. And I always feel strange, but I know that's what he would say, <laughs> that the seniors, but that's showing respect. It's a, I think that's a, a good uh, uh, practical illustration of this verse in Proverbs. But it's very important, uh, the next part of the verse, gray hair is a crown of glory, it is, a, it is gained in a righteous life. So it's not just old age as such, 
but it's an older person with a righteous life. That's, that's the key that makes this person uh, different. So gray hair as a crown of glory is only found in the older people who are righteous. Bob Beasley, who wrote the book where we get the titles from, uh, he wrote, I thought, something interesting, writing of gray-haired people uh, who, who are righteous. He says, each day speaks of the nearness of his, that is the older person's, face-to-face -face meeting with the Ancient of Days. He will complete the redemption that began so long ago. So I thought, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a neat thing, that the, the gray hair um, and, and so on, it speaks of the nearness. Probably, you never know, but I'm probably closer in time to being face-to-face -face with the Lord than you are. You know, again, that may not happen. You know, things happen, but as a general rule. But then, listen to what he wrote about the non-righteous older person. Uh, he wrote, a gray head is a crown of pending doom to the old person. So instead of being crown of glory, it's a sign of pending doom to the old person who has rejected Jesus Christ. Each day, he or she waits for time on earth to end and eternity to begin, having only laid up that, uh, up, having only laid up for that eternity a store of God's wrath. And then he refers to Romans 2, uh, 2, 5. So there's two paths, the paths of the righteous and the paths of the unrighteous. Whether you're old or young, there are those two paths. So uh, in conclusion to verse 31, Solomon wasn't guaranteeing that gray hair indicated either wisdom or righteousness, nor does youthfulness guarantee foolishness. He knew the opposite could be true. And I won't turn there, but you can note down, and I, I don't know if I put it in your notes, Ecclesiastes 4.13 shows that he certainly knew that. And then every person, young or old, needs to live out, but especially it's a reminder to the old, of Psalm 92 verses 12 to 15. I, I, hope, I hope you'll t turn to these verses. And if you've never noted them, uh, I think especially the older you get, uh, the more important to note them, mark them, be aware of them. Uh, Psalm 92, verses 12 to 15. The righteous flourish like the palm tree. You know, you don't, we don't have palm trees in New Jersey, but in California we do, and in the Middle East we do. And uh, they, they last a long time, and they flourish and flourish, whether you have a lot of rain or not. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those were big, strong, sturdy trees. They are planted in the house of the Lord. That, that is... The new, as the New Testament say, they are abiding in Christ. Remember John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and, and that we are to abide in Christ. Uh, they flourish in the courts of our God. They still, oh, this is great. They still bear fruit in old age. 
They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Make that part of your life as you get older and older and older that you will still bear fruit in the next year of your life and in the next year of your life and so on. Well, turning back to Proverbs uh, 16, we have our third proverb, submit your anger to the Spirit's rule. And that's in verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. That's quite a verse. Slow to anger, by the way, is, is often used in Scripture to describe God. He's described as slow to anger in Exodus 34, 6, Numbers 14, 18, Psalm 86, 15, and so on. So the point is, we are like God when we are slow to anger. That's to be one of the marks of his people. A child of God is to be bearing the image of his father and including being slow to anger. New Testament tells us the same thing. In James 1, 19 and 20, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Good verse. Anger is a characteristic of our life before we came to salvation. It is not to be a characteristic of our life after salvation. When we repented of our sin and trusted Christ, we find ourselves hating the anger that's in our life. When anger does pop its ugly head, you, you hate it as a believer. You didn't necessarily hate it as a non-believer. But that's one of the changes that's come to you. So after we become a believer, we're still in our flesh until we get our glorified body. And we find anger rearing its ugly head from time to time. And scripture has numerous uh, insights into how to, uh, how to combat it, first of all. We are told to resist the devil in James 4, 7. The devil loves stirring up anger in our heart. And uh, we're told, James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We're told in Ephesians 6 to stand with the whole armor of God against the arrows of the devil and his forces. And uh, so Ephesians 6 gives us equipment like the belt, belt of truth and the, uh, the breastplate of righteousness and shield of faith and helmet of salvation. And these enable us to resist anger. But then in James 3, 2, we're told just point out, bridle the tongue. Just discipline yourself to when the... When the Temptation comes to lash out in anger, bridle that tongue. Or as we would say in our culture, bite your tongue, bite your lip. Don't, don't let it come out. But, oh, but here's, here's the interesting part. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. That word mighty refers to uh, recognized uh, military heroes. 
And this is saying that as much as we appreciate military heroes who have been courageous and brave for our sake, our society is even better served by a person who is slow to anger. Think about, if you watch the news at all, ever since last weekend, you've seen video maybe over and over again of what happened in Times Square last weekend with some uh, Ill illegal immigrants and in New York City how they were angry at a policeman and kicked and and beat him and it is terrible to see well, where did that come from it came from anger and our society we we praise military heroes and we should but oh we would also be so much better even than the society with military heroes if we had people who don't yield to anger anger in this country is eating us up with all the anger that people are exhibiting. There's an interesting Bible character who illustrates this principle. His name is Gideon. And uh, you remember Gideon uh, had a battle with the Midianites. It's in the book of Judges. Let's turn there. Judges chapter 8. It was a very strange battle as God told Gideon uh, to get this small band of soldiers, not a huge number, but a small band. And he told them to give each one a pitcher and a trumpet. And uh, I, I won't take time to tell the whole story, but uh, God used them to win the battle with, with a pitcher and a trumpet. And, um, but then it's some interesting something that happened afterwards. It's Judges 8, verses 1 to, to 3. Then the men of Ephraim, that's one of the tribes of Israel, said to him, What is this that you have done to us, not to call us when you went to fight against Midian? And they accused him fiercely. They got angry. They said, You should have included us. You didn't include us. We're mad at you. And he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grapes of harvest of Abiezer. God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then, then their anger against him subsided when he said this. You have to read behind, between the lines on this. So apparently... He said this in such a way with no anger. I mean, they've, they've really, the terrible accusation against him. And so many of us would have responded in anger, but he didn't. And uh, what an example of what this proverb says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. It was a better moment for Gideon than when he was the mighty warrior uh, in the battle of the Midianites. And then it, then it says, and he who rules his spirit, that is a person who is in control of their emotions, anger, hatred, and so on. 
so often we let our emotions control us. But this proverb is saying he who doesn't let the emotions control them, he who rules his spirit, the key ingredient to that is our spirit is under the Holy Spirit's rule. And that's why the title of this this uh, proverb is submitting ourselves to the rule of the Holy Spirit. But look how this, the proverb ends. He who rules his spirit, then he who, is, who takes a city. That's surprising in that culture where safety depended on the might and skill of warriors defending their city. And they had the walls and they had everything to defend the city. It was very important to them. But he says in that culture, conquering yourself is to be considered even better than conquering a city. Charles Bridges wrote an excellent commentary on Proverbs back in the 1800s, and he wrote a great statement on this. He said, the capture of a city is child's play compared with the struggle, which is, quote, is not against flesh and blood. You remember that's a quote from Ephesians 6.12, that we, we fight an enemy, but it's not flesh and blood. It's not like an army or something like that. And he, so he says, the capture of a city is child's play compared with the struggle, which is not against flesh and blood, but is against Satan and the flesh and the host of Satan. And so this is a wonderful Wonderful promise in this parable. If we're going to go God's way, go in the path of righteousness, that instead of being filled with anger, we will be submitting our anger to the Spirit's rule. Well, there's one more verse in the chapter. I really wanted to get to that verse tonight, but we'll do it next time. The verse is on the providence of God. And it just so happens that in this chapter, the first nine verses dealt with the providence of God and the theme of God's sovereignty. God is in control. That's the theme of verses one to nine. It's interesting, the end of the chapter comes back to that theme. So I'm anxious in our next study, we'll, we'll look at those verses, the earlier verses that we've already studied, but to review what this teaches about the sovereignty of God and then add to it this wonderful verse. Verse 33 tells us nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens by accident. Nothing happens other than under the sovereign hand and will of God. But we'll get into that next time. Well, tonight we have seen these, these earlier Proverbs, and let me just kind of review them. Uh, in verses 27 to 30, beware of the ungodly slanderer. Watch out for people who sow discord among the brethren and be alert to that tendency in you. And, and, and remember Philippians 4.8 and 1 Corinthians 13. And then in verse 31, honor the, honor the elder saints in the church. 
If you are older, remember that your gray hair will only be the crown if you are righteous. And if you are younger, check your heart attitude towards older people. Do you see them as a bother or as an opportunity for you to come alongside and learn from them and then to encourage them? And then lastly, verse 32, submit your anger to the Spirit's rule. Are you combating anger in your life? If you're a Christian and you're not combating anger, uh, you are, are not walking in the path of righteousness that the shepherd of Psalm 23 wants to lead you in. And so often Christians still battle that anger makes them angry at themselves that they do it. But so that's something we need to be working on, consciously working on and growing in. Well, let's pray. Father, I thank you for showing us these paths of righteousness tonight. I pray that we would grow in these. We would be people who are so different than the world. We're not conformed to this world, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of your of our mind. And we know, Father, that this is not possible were it not for the gospel. It's not possible were it not for the power of the gospel that changes our life. And so, Father, if there's anyone uh, here or watching or listening who has never come to salvation through repentance and faith in Christ. We pray that instead of trying to reform themselves, that they would come to be radically changed in the new birth that only you can give. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen.